Amen. Amen. Now, before you're seated, turn to someone and say, you're going to learn something new about prayer tonight. Tell them that, okay? Tell somebody that. Yeah. Okay, Pastor Melody, are you in the house here somewhere? Okay, all right, we're going to have some notes, but just before you do that, let's, uh, are, are you going to be in the room for a bit? Yeah. Okay, so hang on to those, okay? Otherwise, you know what's going to happen? If I give you these notes right now, you're going to sit here reading them and you won't hear anything I say for the next 10 minutes. I know, that's what I would do. So my name's Terry Bone. B-O-N-E. Yes, I am T-Bone, okay? I was given that name. My parents were going to call my brother, my older brother, Stuart, and realized he'd be called Stewbone. And uh, so um, they didn't think too hard when they named me, but it's all right. It's a high cut of meat. You can call me T-Bone. Don't call me Meathead. And uh, we're all good. I grew up in Toronto. I was born at Keelan Lawrence, uh, was a preschooler at uh, Keelan Wilson, moved to Albion in Islington, south of Finch, lived there until 1979. I got married, then I went way out to this place of Mississauga because it's the only place I could get a house. We lived in Streetsville for 11 years. And then God sent us out to a town that has the word grim in it. Grimsby, and we pastored there almost 11 years, and then Melissa, that's my wife and I, were sent out by the Lord to help other churches and leaders, and that's what we do full-time now, and I am trained a life leadership coach, so I coach pastors in transition, and I help serve churches in transition. That's what I do in Canada, and some seminars on Holy Spirit and prayer. And having been a pastor for almost 20 years, I can teach on different subjects. And the other thing we do is overseas. We have missions work. And um, just, I'll be telling all this on Sunday, but some of you won't be here on Sunday. So uh, when I was contacted by uh, uh, Joel Spiridigliazzi to come and consider and meet with the board here, I said, well, I'm pretty booked up until the end of February. I said, but I'll consider it. My schedule's kind of clear after that. And they said, well, you know, they've got some good preachers here on staff. And now I know who they are, and Pastor Julio and Pastor Melody. And they said, you won't have to be here every Sunday. I said, well, if I don't have to be here every Sunday, I can do it. And I went and prayed, and I felt the Lord say, this is for you. So um, it's kind of back in my home stomping ground. And uh, uh, really looking forward to these weeks and months we have together and um, we'll explain more about how that works but I do want to ask you to have patience with what's going on right now it takes time and uh, we have a uh, we have a leader and his wife who left the way that should be done on good terms with their life and ministry you know shining and uh, they had to figure out what was right for them and they have, and if God has called them out, he's called someone else here. And so we just have to be patient with the process. And also, this staff, I've got to know, I've met with them two or three times now already, behind the scenes, and they're pretty competent, and they work hard. 
but we're not going to be able to do everything we did before right now because we're missing a uh, senior pastor and his wife. And although I'm here, it's not quite the same in terms of time. And so we just need some patience. If some ministries have to kind of just chill a little for a few weeks, we'll be okay. Okay, we're still going to heaven and we're still loving each other. And Church of Jesus will be okay and we'll still make the rapture even if the nursery doesn't have all the workers it needs today or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Jesus, we thank you for being here today and we thank you for that you always have something to say. And we love you for that, Lord. And the many other things we love you for. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 103 is not the study tonight, but I want to speak it over you as a blessing. Uh, Lord gave me this uh, this week as a psalm for this year, and just received this. I'm going to I'm going to say it from the NIV. It's not the beloved old way we talk, but uh, this is the NIV, which someone has humorously called the nearly inspired version. <laughs> That's not really what it stands for. And um, you'll get used to my humor, uh, or maybe you won't, but uh, you can pray for it. It needs healing. Uh, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Say that with me. Forget not all his benefits. So, we have a life with a great benefit plan. We love Jesus for who he is. But we get some benefits, don't we, of this Christian life. And here we go. Here's a list. Who forgives all your sins. Amen. Who heals all your diseases. Amen. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Amen. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And it goes on to list many other things, including that he remembers that we're weak and our frame is as dust and he's willing to forgive anything that we confess and turn away from. Isn't that beautiful? This year, let's dive into the goodness of God. The goodness of God. He is always good. Lord, you are good and what you do is good, says David in Psalm 119. And that's the basis of everything we're going to do here. So, Father, I just thank you for the goodness of God that's going to increase on this house and in people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 How many here have ever had an answer to prayer? You would say, God has answered your prayer. Okay. Um, I don't have to say how many are waiting on God for an answer. I'm sure all of us are. And I'm sure you're here tonight either because somebody made you come here or you're here because you want to learn about prayer. So either way, God's got something for you. But I have to tell you that one of the reasons I did not uh, become a Christian, no, let me rephrase it. One of the reasons, one of the questions I had because I wasn't a Christian as a child was, why aren't there answers to prayer? And why aren't there miracles? And I grew up thinking that prayer was just talking to the space and I hadn't seen anything I hadn't seen any evidence of God where are you who are you and I remember as a very young child praying one night I went to Sunday school sometimes 
when uh, Thistletown United Church there at Islington, and as where I grew up, and uh, a Sunday school teacher, bless her heart, said, you know, uh, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open. I said, really? Yeah, because Jesus said, everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds. Okay. I went home and I said, God, I want to fly. I was five years old or something like that. They just told me, okay, let's test this one. So I stood up on the backyard fence the next day. I gathered all the neighborhood kids around and I said, I'm going to fly. Come on, at such and such a time, I'm going to fly. I stood up on the fence and I said, here goes. I jumped. You know what happened. I didn't fly. My knee, uh, when my foot hit the ground, my knees buckled, came up and hit my nose, and I think I had a bleeding nose, and not only did I not fly, it was quite an embarrassing moment. Thank God that YouTube wasn't invented at that time. Now, here's what happened. I remember walking away from that embarrassment and the shame, because little children have big feelings, and little events can have a big impact. Here I am remembering it decades later. I remember walking away going, I knew it wouldn't work. What happened? What happened was, I misunderstood the word of God, tried out prayer, didn't get what I want, and then the enemy sowed a lie into my life. See, prayer doesn't work. And I walked away for the next 10 years believing it doesn't work. Fortunately, when I was at the ripe old age of 15, there was this Jesus people group going on in the Lutheran church on Islington Avenue, just between Albion Road and Finch. And my friend said to me, as we're walking down Albion Road to the mall to find some drugs and some girls, he said, uh, hey man, there's a hundred girls that are in that building there on Friday night. We should check it out. So though I wasn't a Christian, I felt led to go to the meeting to check out the hundred girls on a church on a Friday night without their parents. I couldn't understand. I walked in and I said, why are all these youth here without their parents? It was male and female, of course. And I experienced the presence of God for the first time in my life. Within six months, I found Jesus. And I remember praying, standing there at the moment I asked him into my life and being led to the Lord by an African-American man from Long Island, New York, Humphrey Duncanson, I'll never forget. And with a big fatherly voice, looked down and he said, Terry, I want you to pray out loud. Pray out loud? I don't do that. I want you to pray out loud. And the reason he said that is because he knew I was one of those I was not a, a well-behaved teenager. Let's just put it that. And he wanted proof that I wasn't tricking him. So I want you to pray out loud. So I prayed out loud. And when I said, Jesus, forgive my sins, come into my heart, I felt like I was levitating. And I went, oh, this is real. See, now I was praying within the will of God. That's where it starts. It starts with a relationship. You know, God's not, prayer isn't a vending machine. You know, banging on there. Where's my chocolate bar? <laughs> We're out today. It starts with a relationship. 
And when we get in right relationship with our Heavenly Father, then stuff starts to happen. Do you know, I walked out of that room. This was actually at a Bible camp that was associated with that group. So I was standing in the store of the Bible camp, the, like the check-in place. It's 11 o'clock on a Friday night, and I walked out of there into the other room. I didn't know they were having a prayer meeting for me. God saved that kid because I was just about to leave the camp. I was the only non-saved kid in the camp, and they were having a prayer meeting just for me. And I walked into that room, and one of the girls looks up. She goes, hey, you're a Christian. And I'm like, how'd you know? She said, are you kidding? You've been walking around like you have a ton of bricks on your head all week. It's gone. Your face looks different. It's real. When it all starts with our relationship. And when we will prioritize our relationship with God, then the things we need will come, right? Matthew 6.33. And I can honestly say I haven't looked back since August 4th, 1972. Uh, from that moment on, I knew God was real. And no one had to tell me I should be praying. Because I had to pray just to convince my parents to let me go to church. I had to pray or I was toast right from the beginning. And uh, that's my story. Okay, let's get down to Bible study. I hope that wasn't boring. Was that boring? Just want you to get to know who's standing up here. You know, it doesn't matter where we've been since then. Really, those moments are the moments that define us. Those life-changing moments when we say yes to the Lord. They make us into someone new and they, they make our life. Let's uh, take these sheets. Thank you, Pastor Melody. Prayer can be such a ritual. I read as, uh, as you're receiving the notes, let me just tell you another little story here. I, I read a book by a well-known pastor, and I don't want to say his name. He's a kind of really known for someone who's critical to this idea of being filled with the Spirit, speaking in tongues, any of the gifts of the Spirit. He's very critical against that. Uh, he's a pretty good Bible teacher on other topics. But he did a book about this thick on how to be a pastor. And in a book that thick, there was one page on prayer. And in that one page on prayer, he basically said, prayer's hard work. You just got to do it. I do it, and you have to do it too. And I was shocked that someone who's that well-known on the radio, on the TV, leading a large church, no, I'm not going to tell you who it is, and uh, it doesn't matter because the point is not who it is. The point is that unless we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, prayer is hard work. Even someone who's, who's that good at teaching and that moral and that good of a leader, all he has to say about prayer is it's hard work. But I, I want to tell you that prayer isn't hard work. Not when you have a relationship with your father 
and you ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit. His prayer is first relationship. Prayer is relationship. Okay, so how important is prayer? Let's start with that. Now you have your notes. Well, Ephesians 3, chapter 3, verse 10 and 12. Now, I know I'm, I'm lifting this out of the context, but I'm not teaching Ephesians 3. I'm teaching the topic of prayer. So please let me lift this out of context. But the context is that Paul is talking about, Apostle Paul is talking about his ministry to the Gentiles, which is a new idea, a new thing. Nobody had thought of that before. You probably know if you're a church person, you know Acts chapter um, 10 when uh, Peter has to have a vision to even be willing to change his mind to talk to people who aren't Jews. They were that bigoted. Because when he stood up in the day of Pentecost and said the Holy Spirit's being poured out in all flesh, in his mind he was thinking Jews. People who are already following the law. But then God said, hey, all means all. And you, there's this, this guy, Cornelius, who isn't a Jew, he's doing the best he can. I want to pour out my spirit on him. So, this was a new revelation. The Spirit of God is allowed to go to people who aren't Jews. And probably for most of us in the room, it's a good thing that happened or else we wouldn't be saved. Because not many of us in this room are Jewish. I might look like it, but I'm not. And um, Paul says, he said, there's actually secrets in the spiritual realm that are being made known now. Secrets from ages past. And he says this in verse 10. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may, be, may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Well, here we, it's up there on the screen. I didn't even realize that. His intent was now that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, multifaceted, means like a diamond, all the different facets and colors. The wisdom of God in his plan wasn't known very well in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. They just knew there was a heaven up there, there was a hell somewhere, there was, there was a throne room, there was a... God was going to save us. It was very cloudy, but it was made clear for us. But Paul says, not even like the demonic forces or the devil himself knew what God was planning. If he had of, he wouldn't have killed Jesus on the cross. Because that was his undoing. Because by Jesus dying, he was able to pay for our sins and take back the keys from death and when he did that he rose from the grave kicked Satan out Revelation 12 there was no room left for, for the dragon the devil and his angels the demons and there was no room for them the devil no longer has any access to God's presence and uh, yes he was the accuser of of the brethren but he's been thrown down he's not there anymore accusing us I got to bring that teaching to you some night but Paul says, through the church, through the church, the plan of God is being made known into the spiritual realm. Isn't that amazing? Our prayer life is proclaiming the purposes of God from here, sitting in this church, 
But you and I, the church, as we speak, it's going out into the unseen world and doing business out there. Putting things in order. Bringing revelation. And what happens to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms? We're talking about the demonic rulers and authorities. Okay, Heaven knows what's going on. We're talking about the, the realm, Ephesians 6, makes it known that, there's, that we, we battle against these rulers, these authorities, these principalities, these powerful spirits that are in the spiritual realm. Not up in the throne room with God, but out there in the unseen world. Paul would call it the second heaven. The third heaven's where God lives, the Father lives. He said, there's a battle. You know that, right? There's a battle in the spiritual world. And we've actually, even though we can't see it, through the word of God and the Holy Spirit, we're given the equipment to do battle in this world, in the unseen world. We're given the authority to speak into it and rearrange things. And the enemy really wants you to not know that. He wants to keep you, he wants to throw guilt on you and tiredness and busyness and distracted and rob you of the understanding and the facility and the practice of going out there and doing damage to the kingdom of darkness just through the words you speak as revealed by the Holy Spirit. So prayer isn't just asking for stuff. Prayer is the means that God is using now to rearrange the spiritual world to diminish the works of the enemy and prepare the way of the Lord. So this is the, this is the big picture, how important prayer is. And I'm going to give you a little preview of the prayer of faith week because we're going to do nine kinds of prayer. But I want you to know how this works Okay, so tonight my only goal is, is for you to leave here understanding like never before how important prayer is and to have a hunger to participate. All right. Uh, my sister uh, not far from here asked Jesus into her heart in 1975. So I come from an unsafe family, but I was really working on my family to get them saved. I became a real annoying person. And um, then she turned away. And somewhere in the 90s, we got a call. Uh, my brother got a call. Actually, he was, said, come over for dinner to my sister. Single, never married, in her 30s. And it was a setup. When he arrived, she wasn't there. Her pet was there. Post-it notes were on every piece of furniture in her condo. And a legal will was there. And a note saying goodbye. And she was nowhere around. This was a credible, pre-planned suicide attempt. She was gone. brother called my wife and I he's not a Christian but he wanted us to know for obvious reasons and for a moment I thought that's it hmm, she's gone 
And then we called my wife's mom to pray, a real prayer warrior, faithful, wonderful woman. And she went and prayed and got a scripture. And my wife got a scripture as we prayed. This sickness is not unto death, but under the glory of God. And I said, that's it. If that's God's answer, then I'm praying it. I went down in my basement and I prayed in a way that I rarely have prayed in my life because the situation warranted it. My sister might be dead, she might be alive, but it wouldn't be because I hadn't prayed. So here's what I did. I want want you to hear this, okay? I went down in my basement and I started to talk to Satan because I have the authority to release, let's put that scripture back up. I have the authority to release the manifold presence of God into the spiritual realm. One thing I know, no one commits suicide without demonic forces telling them to do it. Because there's nothing more unnatural than to want to take your own life. Everything within us tries to preserve our life. Fear of heights and all, everything we're built in is to keep our life going. And when someone wants to end their own life, there's a demonic lie. There is a lie that somehow it's better if my life's over. And I went downstairs and I said, Satan, you cannot have my sister. She gave her life to Jesus. And I'm calling on the name of Jesus now. And I just said, you take your hands. I was yelling. Okay, I won't try to act it out but I was yelling you take your hands off you do not have the right to take her life in the name I just got so mad I got angry I put my foot down and said no it's not happening I prayed till I sweat I came upstairs and we said well we'll just have to wait the next day was Sunday and I was a pastor and guess what my series was on Waiting on God. So I preached waiting on God when you don't have the answer. People came up after and said, Pastor, you just preached that passionately. Wow, you really did a good job of that. You have no idea. And they didn't and I wasn't going to tell them. That afternoon the police called. They found my sister. She'd taken enough pills to kill a horse. For some reason had thrown them up. And so she was... She was groggy and sick, but sitting in her car somewhere. And she couldn't even die. She couldn't, she couldn't succeed. She was too groggy to try again. She didn't, have, she didn't have any means to finish the job. She was just laying there, kind of wiped out. They found her, called, and at that point she was taken back to her apartment. I don't know why they didn't take her to the hospital. Sent her back to her apartment. And I'll never forget, we drove over, my wife walked in, she just pointed at her, started saying, you are supposed to live, you are supposed to live, you are supposed to live. Now, I'm going to fast forward and say, between that time and now has been a long, troubled journey. But, on December 24th, 2023, 
my sister came back to church for the first time in 21 years. She asked to come back to church. And my sister and my wife knew each other in high school. This turnaround started about six months ago. And she said to me recently, she said, I heard the Spirit of God speak to me. And you know what he said? I'm patient. I'm patient. <sighs> Prayer. We have the authority because of Jesus to meet whatever comes to us. Now, we're not to go out into the, into the psych wards of hospitals. And my sister was there for a while. We're not, we're not supposed to go in there and try to yank everybody out of the beds and go past, you know, we don't have the authority to address every situation out there. But when it's your family, when it's someone in your circle of touch, when it's someone within that realm, you have authority. And uh, we have the authority to meet every situation that's coming at us with the power of prayer. And we're going to talk about what it means to pray the prayer of faith. If you look at your notes, we're talking about nine kinds of prayer. Uh, yeah, thank you, Jesus. Yes, my sister is walking with God today. That took decades. You know what? It was worth it. One day, you know, maybe 500 years in in heaven, we're going to look at each other and we're going to laugh and say, wasn't that crazy? Man, that seems like it just happened in two seconds. Well, it did, because 500 years later, we got another 50,000 years. That was a crazy moment, wasn't it? Yeah, glad we're here. All of that stuff is just going to feel like a moment when we get to heaven. It's going to be worth it. And I want to say to you, dear sister and brother prayer warriors here tonight, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. When that bowl in Revelation that's before the throne is tipped over and the answers start coming, it's going to be worth it. Amen. Preaching myself happy here. Okay. Nine kinds of prayer. Praise and thanksgiving, surrender, listening, binding and loosing, faith, agreement, intercession, petition, and in the spirit. We had a flat-out revival in our church in the 90s. I'll unfold some of the details of that and believe we're going to see, see more of that again. I really do. Um, more and something new that we've never seen before. But in the middle of that, when our church is having just people show up, like a church of 90, open the door on Friday night and 400 show up, and you're like, how did this happen? And um, all sorts of amazing things. People, somebody standing up in the middle of the service and getting saved and calling out in God because the power of God's on them, you know. Just stuff that's so far beyond, you know, good message pastor or great prayer time. Stuff that's sovereign and intervening. We were having this happen on a semi-regular basis. And in the midst of that, though, I noticed that our prayer life wasn't quite up to it. God had come in in power, and we had about four prayer meetings a week at that point, but I was still, it was kind of the 
familiar faces and we weren't getting everybody in. And uh, I said to the Lord, I was sitting right where about you are, and our, our church had the identical pews and chandeliers, so I keep feeling like I'm back there. And different faces, same place. And I was standing there during the worship service, and I said, Lord, how come this church is so good at worship, but not as good at prayer? And he spoke to me, and he said, see, they have the words. They're great at worship because they just look at the words and they know what to sing and they don't feel embarrassed. But he says, but people are embarrassed. They, they, they feel they might say the wrong words. So I said, oh, I need to help people learn how to pray. And that's where this came from. You know, if you had a hammer, you could build that shed in your backyard with just a hammer. You could go by the wood and say, well, it's an eight-foot a stud and I need I need one that's six feet high and you could bang it and bang it and bang it at the six foot spot until it broke then you could hammer it to another one you could build it with one tool or if you just had a saw and a hammer and nothing else you could build it but it's going to take a lot more effort and a lot more time and I feel like a lot of people are good at one kind of prayer they got one tool in their toolbox they always pray a prayer of faith they're always asking the Lord to forgive. They're always saying, oh, I just want to just listen to the Lord. Or they're always just worship, 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 which is a form of prayer, musical worship. But the more tools you have in your box, the easier the job's going to be to get done. As long as you know when to use the tool and how to use it. And so there are different kinds of prayers that work on different occasions. Some we may use daily. Others, like the prayer of faith, which is really what I was talking about earlier, are for certain occasions. We don't, I don't pray like that every day. So over the next few weeks, with the help of the staff here, because I'm actually away next week, and then two weeks in February, I'll be in Nepal and Bangladesh with our own charity, our ministry that has an overseas missions component. Um, and so... Pastor Melody, Pastor Julio, and myself will be going through these. Excuse me. So are we good with that? But tonight I just wanted you to grab the, the power of this. And we're going to come out and, and imagine now praying each of, each of these kind of prayers. Imagine if you prayed them all for mm, three minutes you prayed each of those for three minutes you just have spent almost a half an hour in prayer so as sometimes we think how am I gonna you know pray that long when when you know the different kinds of prayers to pray time becomes short so let's look at this what is prayer prayer is relationship first with the Heavenly Father I don't know if they have Matthew 6 up there but I'll turn to it for us Matthew 6 5 to 13 Pastor Melody, could I ask for uh, uh, some water, like a bottle of water? I'm just getting a little hoarse here. Thank you very much, so much. Matthew 6, 5. Whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. <coughs> Truly, they have received their reward in full. Next verse. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. 
And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is how you should pray. Then we get the Lord's Prayer. So Jesus was giving a radical new way of praying. Thank you so much. And on the baptism Sunday, wasn't that amazing? Uh, Which sister was talking about going into her closet? That was just great. I just loved that. I actually recorded that and showed it to my family. That was perfect. You're not here tonight, are you that person? No. Gives new definition to prayer closet. Um, See, in Jesus' time, like they looked at Jesus, the disciples looked at Jesus and said, wow, all the power, the things he does, and then he just walks away and prays. Mark 1 says, early in the morning, great while before day, he got up and found a lonely place, and there he prayed. Everybody's asking for you, but he goes away. Where, where were you? He went away and prayed. And at some point, probably early on in his ministry, the disciples went, hmm, the secret to his public power is private prayer. And they said, well, then not teach us how to go zap and heal someone. They said, teach us how to pray. Because we can see that if we learn how to pray the way you know how to pray, we're going to have the power that you have. So I find that very interesting. If you want to do the works of Jesus, the first thing is Jesus how to pray. So then he blows their mind with a prayer that's so different than the old covenant. Just just. Go with me here and realize how different this was. He says, start by saying, our Father who's in heaven. You will find a few references, mostly in Isaiah, and some from the Psalms, that refer to God being like a father. But I don't think, if you find it, tell me, I don't think you'll find anything in the Old Testament where somebody addresses God as Father. And even to get into the tabernacle and the presence, you had to, you know, if you've done this, bring a turtle dove. If you've done that, bring a pigeon. If you've done this, bring a a cow and a goat. It's like, can you imagine if we had to come to church that way? Oh, here comes Sharon with a couple of doves. Okay, I guess she slipped up this week. Oh, there's Terry with an ox. Oh, what did you do this week? You're having to sacrifice an ox to get in here. Like, (laughs) your sins were kind of obvious, you know, depending on how many many animals you're bringing into church. (laughs) And, And just to get in, then they had all these rules and regulations. But Jesus, he says, just begin by saying, Father, Father in heaven, we hallow your name. And so Jesus is telling us, at the very foundation, prayer is relationship. That's why God didn't let me fly. He wanted me first to find out that he's my father and Jesus, my elder brother. He wanted to bring me into relationship. Now I fly around the world a lot, but I usually take a plane. So it's relationship. It's not trying to do things or get God to answer your prayers. It's relationship with a father who's more willing to listen than we are to talk to him. And we also need to listen to him. 
But then it's also a relationship with the spiritual realm. And I covered that earlier. And Ephesians 6 says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies. King James says high places. But I believe that's because their theology wasn't as well developed because it was hard for them to think wickedness in the heavenlies because medieval times, Dante's Inferno and everything, is heaven was up there, hell was down there, so there couldn't be any wicked things up there. They just had that view, that kind of physical view. But it definitely says there's wicked in the heavenlies. Not in the what Paul calls the third heaven. Not up there where you, in Revelation where you see the saints in the throne room. But in the unseen world that is next to us. Right here. It is here. But it's where the principalities and the powers struggle it out. And you can bet right now in Ukraine and in Gaza. There's major principalities fighting it out for territory in addition to all the human factor. And we, as Vessels of Mercy, pray for peace. We're not praying for our side to win. We want peace. We want people to find Jesus. But there are principalities and powers at work. So think of it as relationship. The next thing I want you to remember tonight is build before you battle. Say it with me. Build before you battle. Can, can please humor me. Say it out loud. Build before you battle. Thank you. That feels better. And if you say it, you'll more likely remember it. Um, build before you battle. In the 80s, there was this book called This Present Darkness, which was about spiritual warfare. And um, we really got into this whole thing about battling the devil and enemies. And you know I believe there are times we have to do that. But I knew some people... I don't know where they are now, but they would talk to me more about Satan and demonic and the Antichrist and all this thing, far more than they'd talk about Jesus. And it's um, not healthy. It's not necessary to do that. And it's the wrong focus. And a lot of prayer was spiritual warfare prayer that really probably was even misguided. And um, so I like to say, first of all, we build before we battle. We, we build a house. We build a dwelling place for the presence of God. And I said, if I say stronghold, what do you think? Do you think of something that's negative, something that's got a hold of us, the enemy? We kind of tend to go there. But a stronghold isn't evil or good. It just is. It's what's inside the stronghold that makes it good or bad. A stronghold is a protected dwelling place. So when we haven't repented of something, say we have a secret sin of an addiction or pornography habit or whatever it might be, and when we, when we hide it and we don't repent, it becomes a stronghold for the enemy because Satan dines on that which we withhold from God. And he will always flourish in darkness. So anything we hold in darkness, he's there. And, and he has a handle on our life. He has, he, has a, he has a measure of influence and ability to hold us. But the opposite's true as well. We can create a strong hold. And by the way, the answer to that is just confess and forsake. But you don't have to battle 
the enemy, just confess and forsake and be accountable to somebody. Drag it into the light and the darkness disappears. But on the other hand, we can build a dwelling place for the Lord, a stronghold of his presence. And you do this through a devotional habit and a lifestyle of practicing his presence. So I've had a head start on some of you here. Not on some, but some of you have a head start because I've been doing this for 51 years. The first week I got saved, I started doing prayer walks. I didn't call it that, but I just had to get out of the house because nobody in my house liked prayer, so I had to get out and walk and pray. And I would walk around, pray, and talk to Jesus. And I remember I got saved on the Friday night and the Saturday I was still up there in, uh, in the uh, Gravenhurst area, beautiful you know, Canadian Shield, and I walked out of camp and down the road, and there was, I sat on a bench, opened my Bible, and a lady came by, and she goes, oh, hello, young man, do you read your Bible? And I said, yes, every day. I was one for one, just like you are tonight. You've, you've come to prayer meeting every, every Wednesday this year so far. Good for you. Same with me. I was one for one, and nobody had to tell me. I just did it. But that began a lifestyle of devotional habit. And, you know, I can't say I've done it every day since. I'd be a liar then. But uh, after a while, it becomes normal and natural. And you build that place where the access to the presence is, uh, is normal. Do you have a place you like to pray? That's your prayer closet. My prayer closet's by the south shore of Lake Ontario. At Murray Park. You probably don't know it. But do you have a prayer closet? Do you have a place that when you go to. Just like you want to pray. Because you've been there so many times. Is it a room in your house? Is it the tree house in the backyard? Is it your car in the morning on the way to work? Or do you have. Who would say. I have a place that I usually pray. Do you have something like that? I would encourage you. To try to do that. When I go down to the lake. I've been doing this since 2007 on a regular basis. When I go down to the lake in the mornings, and I'm talking about minus 10 in the, in the wind and the snow. I'm talking about plus 25 in a summer day. When I go down to the lake, either inside my car or right out there on the pier, it's just like Jesus is on the water. I, I would say 90 times out of 100 or more, his presence is there right away. Because I'm building a dwelling place. It's a place of privacy. It's a place of expanse. It's a place where I see his creation. It's a place where it's easy to get in touch with him. Develop that. Build a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit in your lifestyle. Turn on the worship music in the car. I used to be, oh, I'm a sports, used to be an addict. And I had to say, no more Fan 590 radio is going to be worship music. And I had to do that for almost a year to break the habit. But I don't know what it is for you, but we're creatures of habit, and we need to develop holy habits. And when you do this, it's not that, oh, you're a good boy. You prayed seven times this week, and I only prayed four times. God's going to answer your prayer. No, 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 no. That's legalism. It's just creating space. Creating room. 
for the presence of God in your life. And, and then he says things to you through the word, through impressions. He jot down a thought or, you know what? I, I haven't talked to George in a while. I'm going to give him a call. And you call George and he says, how did you know it's the anniversary of my mother's death and I'm sad today? Oh, I don't know. I just thought I'd call. You just find the Holy Spirit starts to use you as his vessel of mercy. And you know, life doesn't get better than that. When you start seeing how much you can be used as just an ordinary person, when you create space for the presence of God, that's some of the greatest moments in life. You create friendships. You create blessing in other people's life. Now, you know what? I'm kind of going on and on here. So I'm just going to tell you a secret, all right? Camille, I want you to know this especially, okay? If you say amen when I say a point that's good, then I know you've heard me, and I move on to the next point. But if you're just like silent like this, I think, oh, they haven't heard me. I better repeat myself. And then it's like 9.30 before we finish. Okay, so next point. I know we're allowed to say amen in this house. I know that. And I, I want to save this for a Sunday, but I might as well save it here too. Like, I've done a lot of ministry in the Caribbean, some in Africa, um, and in Asia, where, you know, there's only two times of the day, right? Day and night. You know, the clock doesn't count, and services are long, and people are loud. And I, had, I, I was in Barbados once, and the pastor got up, it was a five and a half hour uh, service, outdoors, in the heat, ladies wearing polyester, <laughs> and I don't know how they do it, <laughs> and uh, three hours in, I got to preach, I got up and preached my best for about 40 minutes, sat down and thought, okay, we're going to have a four hour service, nah, he stood up after me and preached my sermon again, he says, you know, when Brother Terry was saying this, that's good, and then he said this. And you know, then when he went there, like, let's read that scripture again. I'm like, I, I, is this for real? And he preached by himself. First of all, I was flattered that he remembered it. But he, he darn well preached again. So now we're four hours and 20 minutes. He, he took longer than me. And uh, it was a five-hour five hour service. And so I'm, I'm used to people preaching me through it, you know, and saying, amen, that's right. Okay, so you're allowed to do that if you like. And when it comes to worship, I know the clock's important. I've never had a nursery worker come to me and say, please preach longer. <laughs> but I love the expressive worship of this church. And, and I often say in Canada, I say, if you get close to me, you'll see I've got these uh, brown uh, spots on my, my uh, hand here. And I say, that's actually my true color. The rest of me is a birthmark. Because I feel most comfortable in those environments where we are just letting it rip. And uh, whether it's Bangladesh or Barbados, I love the expressive worship. And then I come back to Canada with we, uh, God's chosen frozen <laughs> British derivatives. And the Spanish people too. Come on, in Colombia, when I was in Colombia and the DR, oh yeah, let's go. Let's move, bring out the tambourines. Amen. Okay, 
that was for free. That wasn't in my notes. Let's build a dwelling place for the Lord this year. I'm not calling you to any extra commitment tonight. I'm just trying to create space and insight so that we can make room for the Lord. And can we do that? Stand with me, please. Thank you, Lord. Some of you are real far away tonight. I'm not going to point you out or embarrass you. But if you want to get closer so I remember your face, that would be awesome. And um, I'm going to say this. If you say, Lord, you know, I've got a burden. And I've been praying. And I haven't seen the answer yet. If that's you, I'm not going to ask you to tell me what it is. But I'd like you to come right up past the front pew and just come up and start talking to the Lord. And we're going to agree together that this year we're going to see more than we've ever seen. This is the year of fulfillment. Not every prayer will see the answer, but many more than we ever have before. That is my claim. I believe that the coming revival will be greater than anything we've seen. And I want to get myself in the path of oncoming grace. So without any more arm twisting, if you say, I carry the burden of an unanswered prayer and I want to join my faith with Terry and come into agreement, come on, come on right now to the front and we're going to just pray together and worship. And we're going to play that song by Michael W. Smith. Um, uh, Pastor Josh, where are you? Up in the booth or wherever. He's going to play it for me. That's... We may think that I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Okay? There are principalities. There are powers. There are things at work in the spiritual realm. But we're surrounded by him. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for everyone that's here tonight. Teach us how to pray. For those of you in the, in the pews... That's great. You don't have to come forward. And that's all, that's all cool. But what I want to invite you to do is while you're standing there and we're listening to this, ask the Lord to teach you about prayer. Lord, I want to know something I've never known before. I want to go there. Pray in your own words. But let's listen to this song first as we marinate in his presence.